With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's always soccer in Philadelphia, even on a Thursday when the Sixers are playing their season opener, and when the Philadelphia Eagles are 3-3, and when the Flyers are playing again. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going on in Philadelphia, but guess what? Your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union are headed to the playoffs for the third time in franchise history. Big game coming up this Sunday against the New York Red Bulls and joining us to talk about it from Seeing Red, the Seeing Red podcast, Red Bull podcast, it's Mr. Mark Fishkin. Mark, what's going on, man? How you been? Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to this game. This, this game means uh, quite a bit for both of these teams. Did you, at the beginning of the year, think that this game was going to mean anything remotely close to what it currently means? <laughs> well, I, I think the way Philly started the season with uh, you know, five losses out of the first ten games, I think people were thinking that this was just going to be uh, one more Philadelphia Union season as, as many of them have been in, in the club's history, but uh, these are two of the hottest teams in the league coming down the stretch, and both of them are jockeying for playoff positioning with two weeks to go. And um, this is as it should be. These are these are two towns and two teams that don't particularly care for each other. And I think the Union are going to use this as a measuring stick and a message to the Red Bulls because the two obviously could meet further down the line in the playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, these two teams, I think, have lost a combined three games uh, yeah. dating back to the beginning of August. And, yeah, at the beginning of the season, I think you always look at they, – they always give us this Red Bull-Philly game at the end of the year. Uh, maybe they think there's some kind of rivalry thing going on there. We can get into that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, I, I think most of us look at it and say, well, you know, Philly's probably going to be out of it by then. Maybe they can be a spoiler here. <laughs> Um, but that's not really the case. There's a lot on the line here. Um, what, did you? Was there anything to take away? That first game between Red Bull and Philly up in, up in uh, Harrison was a nil-nil. It was kind of boring. Uh, I don't know if there's a ton to take away from that, but then the Open Cup game was at least interesting. Did you did you take anything away from those two games? Well, I take, I actually took a lot away from the, from the game on May 26th at Red Bull Arena between the teams because I thought the Union were the better team. Yeah. Sapong missed a, missed a penalty kick. And then Tim Parker saved the shot off the goal line, um, and Blake had a fantastic game. And I, I think that match, although really in the midpoint of the season, started to push the notion that, well, wait a minute, this, this, this Philly team um, has a lot to offer. The Red Bulls are 13-2-1 and one at home this season. They've set a record for home points. And Philadelphia is the one. They've only three teams that have escaped uh, with from from Red Bull Arena with any points this season, so I, I think I'd like to think for the Union it, it gave them a shot of confidence, and I think for the Red Bulls maybe it, it put um, kind of a spike in the back of their minds, like this is a team that we really have to be aware of down the stretch. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I totally forgot about that C.J. Sapong uh, missed, <laughs> missed penalty kick. I, I think I got that lost uh, w- with the five or six other sitters that he missed earlier in the year. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, it's funny how those things just sort of slip your memory when you come back and try to think yeah. about it. But um, <clears throat> Red Bull, is, is there anything different about this team or anything that's happened you know, in the 10 or 12 games since they played each other in the Open Cup that Union fans should be looking out for? Is there any, anybody playing better? Is there anything specific that, that we should look out for? Well, I mean, I think the biggest change is that Jesse Marsh isn't the coach of the team anymore. And he was the coach when the teams met in the Open Cup. And, and frankly, let's be honest, I mean, that, that was a, a, squad, a rotated squad game for New York. Yeah. And um, New York had been coming off a, a series of significant fixture congestion. And it was very frustrating for Red Bull fans, I think, to see the lineup that Marsh threw out that night um, down in Chester. As it turned out, it, it, New York was able to, to close the deficit to one goal, but, but couldn't get the, the one to push it extra time. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, Bradley, right, Phillips is chugging along. His 20th goal makes him the only man in league history to score 20 goals in three different seasons. Uh, Kaku's production, I think, has kind of come off a little bit from a uh, from an assist standpoint. He, mm-hmm. He's only had two in the last, I think, eight or nine games, but um, we've seen a lot of other players step up. I mean, Alex Mawil, who I, I'm pretty sure Union fans are aware of who he is, homegrown player for the Red Bulls, has a goal and three assists in his last six matches, including some clutch, clutch assists late in games to help salvage points on the road for New York, um, as well as uh, taking care of uh, the, the assist that, that stuck the, the knife in against Atlanta at home. Uh, flipping a tremendous ball to Parker to finish off that game. So he has really, really come on. Um, you know, Danny Royer has, this will be a three week break for Royer because obviously uh, New York didn't play last week, uh, with, with FIFA dates and Royer had been given the night uh, off previously at San Jose. So he hasn't played in a while. It'll be curious to see how he's able to contribute with so much rest. I don't know if there's concern about him losing form. But, no, this is a team that, I mean, they're tops in the league in defense. Um, Luis Robles has 12 shutouts on the year, leads uh, tied for the league lead there. So, you know, this is a team that's known to score goals in bunches, but it's really the back line that been, uh, I think, a little bit overlooked this season. Yeah, you know, I totally forgot that uh, Chris Armas took over. <laughs> if that tells you anything about how uh, distracted I've been by the Eagles and the Sixers and Gritty and uh, basically anything other uh, Philly at this point. Um, but have you have you noticed a specific way or anything, um, any noticeable differences in what in what in how Chris Armas handles himself, handles himself or the way the team carries themselves or plays for him versus how they played for Jesse Marsh? You know, it's a great question, and I'm seeing, Red, we've uh, dive into this almost every week. The results are just about the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armis is 10-3-3 and since taking over the club, but one of the things that we've noticed is that the goals in general um, have stopped coming in bunches. Uh, and now part of that can be it's a long season. Part of that can be the quality of the opposition later in the season has been tougher. Um, this team played something like seven or eight one-goal games in a row. So earlier in the season, New York was, you know, on opening night, they, they took care of Portland 4-0. They, they took care of uh, Montreal 4-0. They beat uh, Toronto handily. They beat Minnesota handily by just scoring tons and tons of goals. Yeah. And as the season, as, as summer has turned to fall, the games have gotten tighter. Um, New York also seems to be, 
committed to pa- there's a lot more passing in the final third instead of just going to goal. And this is something that Red Bull fans can harken back to the Hans Baca era, where it's like, boys, you're not going to walk the ball in the net. You know, you, you have to actually shoot the ball if you're going to score some goals. But then again, I mean, this team came back against DC three times uh, down in Audi Field to earn a 3-3 draw. Um, they've only conceded one goal in their last three matches. And the, the, the understudies that are coming in, it really is a question of next man up. Mouille, Derek Etienne have come in and contributed. Uh, so, uh, And, of course, then there was the seminal win against Atlanta on September 30th where New York really just kicked them in the face. And um, you know, Atlanta has not beaten New York yet. Uh, in any of the four matches between the two of them, but but I thought that that real beatdown, uh, where Joseph Martinez did not attempt a shot, yeah. was not permitted to take a shot, really showed uh, the skill of both Long and Parker in the central defense. Um, so even a couple of weeks ago, I was said, yeah, this team's playing really tight. The last three games have all been two goal victories, and uh, so we're kind of eating crow a little bit, wondering what the difference is. You and I have talked about the rivalry uh, thing before. I think we actually, I'd actually talked to you on the phone last year and we did a story about it. Um, and, you know, the general sense, I think, is that Philly fans, I think, in the beginning, always kind of saw this as more of a rivalry than New York did, uh, basically because New York always had D.C. as a historic rival. And then when NYCFC came into the league, that was more of a geographic kind of thing. So instead of asking the same damn question that I ask everybody <laughs> about this, let me, let me like kind of approach it. Let me come at it from a different way. Um, the way I see New York and Philly is uh, I'll give you a college football reference. Say, let's say New York Red Bulls, Baxter, just quiet down, man. Sorry, it's my dog in the background. Um, say the Red Bulls are uh, Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. And you could say that NYCFC is uh, Michigan State, right? They're the yep. ge- geographic in-state rival. Ohio State could be D.C. United because there's there was always a lot of dislike there, and that's that's historically existed for a long time, right? So maybe if Red Bulls are Michigan, then the union is like Penn State or Wisconsin or something like that. A team that you don't like playing, but they don't you don't necessarily look at them the same way as you look at an Ohio State or Michigan State. Does that make any sense at all, any of that? I mean, if I said that they were Ball State, I'm sure you'd hang up on me. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I think that um, – I think there's a lot of truth there. I think there's a, there's a, this has become a thing now, right, where Red Bull fans – uh, you know, I, I don't even see you in front of me, right? I'm not going to pay any attention <laughs> to you to give you even the notion that you're equal with us and therefore you're not a right. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. there's a little bit of that air of, um, you know, both superiority uh, in, into this um, kind of structure between the two clubs' fan bases. Yeah, I, I think there's, I, I know plenty of Red Bull fans that really do not want to play the Union in the postseason, principally because they've seen this team come on so strong in the last half of the year, um, figure stuff out. They're afraid of Dodgeball. They're afraid, you know, Sapong, yes, he does miss, goal, uh, miss the net, but he does score plenty of goals. <laughs> so I, I think there's begrudging respect. The fact that the teams are only playing twice in the regular season might indicate that perhaps the league, uh, you know, again, as you said, Kevin, putting NYC and D.C. ahead of them. Yeah. Uh, but, but they are a conference rival they, they do, they're a very strong team that, that's come on late, and I think Red Bull fans, again, are, are um, not, would not look forward to a postseason matchup between the clubs at all. 
So let's do a quick exercise here, and then I'm going to ask you one more question, and I'll let you go. Um, things are really bunched up right now, and this is actually probably the most interesting kind of uh, – what do they call it? This is, are we still calling it decision day, the final mm -hmm. day of the season? Okay, so as we approach decision day, there's, there's actually a lot more at stake here than there has been in, in years past, especially in the Eastern Conference where the supporter shield is going to be decided. So every team still uh, is on 32 games played, two games left. Atlanta's first place on 66, Red Bull on 65 points, and you have NYC at 53, Philly at 50, Columbus at 48, and D.C. at 47. So, uh, supporter shield, you guys in Atlanta both have 20 wins. Uh, the total – so, the total wins – so, assuming there's a – if we would go to a tiebreaker here between Atlanta and Red Bull, it would go total wins – uh, goal. I'm sorry. Uh, goal differential, and then total goals scored. And so it's they're both at 20 wins now. Atlanta's goal differential is 28. Red Bull 27. And the goals four is where Atlanta has the edge because they have 67 and Red Bull at 60. So I mean, what do you? Where, where, how do you see the top two playing out for these final two weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I think even uh, non-Red Bull fans can understand the idea that either Chicago or Toronto are going to hold up Atlanta. Is um, is wishful thinking. Yeah, uh, I'd I'd love to say that uh, Dax McCarty is going to you know whip out his uh, yeah New York Red Bull tattoo that I imagine he has and lead his team to victory in Atlanta, but I don't see that happening. And Toronto, they just shut down Victor Vasquez uh, for this season. Toronto is going to be playing for pride. Atlanta could be playing for the Shield. Of course, the Shield race could end this weekend if Philly wins and Atlanta wins, then it's done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really don't see Atlanta dropping any points. Um, I don't think we're going to have to go to tiebreakers or anything like that. Uh, and New York finishes at home against a dreadful Orlando team, and I, I don't expect them to, to drop any points to Orlando. So, yeah. it's really, this, this game... On, on Sunday, that does mean so much. If if, New, if Atlanta is going to falter in any way, can New York go out and get three points? And it's going to be a tall order for them, sure. Red Bull plays at Philadelphia this weekend, then they close with Orlando at home. Um, Atlanta has Chicago at home, then they go to Toronto. D.C. this weekend plays New York City, uh, Columbus at Orlando, and yeah, that's all I missed. I don't think Montreal's sneaking in there. Um, nope. how do you How do you see... There, there could be a lot of moving from three to six of these next two weeks. So yeah. how, how do you see three to six playing out? Um, so New York City goes at D.C. and then home for the Union the last day of the season. And, and that game, in essence, is for the third seed. Yeah, it's like crazy. The Red Bulls take all the points and City wins in D.C., which I don't think they're going to do. So that will be a game for third seed. I, I, I think the Union can absolutely finish uh, on, on third and then host uh, host who, right? Because if, if we say Union, City, I think D.C. is going to win out and Columbus is kind of faltering. So you could see a Philly-Columbus match in the 3-6 game and then uh, City-D.C. United in the 4-5 game. I, I, that's how I draw it up. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, and it's also a shame that the Union are going to bump into the Eagles this Sunday because, of course, you know, of course that's how it's going to work out. Uh, so that segues me into my final question, which is how much, uh, if any, media coverage are you guys getting up there? Are the Red Bulls up to like a paragraph in the New York Times at this point? <laughs> uh, you're adorable. Yeah, no, so uh, for, for your listenership, uh, just know that, the, that most of the major market media has completely given up on covering either. MLS team. It's a busy time.
uh, are starting. Uh, their season three hockey teams have started playing. Yeah, no, there's no room or time or space in any major market uh, sports media on either side of the river. The Star Ledger and J.com, uh, I think, recently wrote about the Red Bulls 11 months ago. And uh, the Bergen Record, NorthJersey.com, doesn't doesn't cover them. It's it's really it's it's absolutely shocking uh, to me that here we are in year 23 of MLS and these teams still are fighting for any sort of attention. Of course, the the, the market sports media has shrunk significantly. The Daily News, uh, part of the the, the trunk uh, beheading, cut their sports department from 30 heads to nine. Yeah. Yeah. cover 11 pro teams and so the answer is the majority of the teams just simply are not getting coverage um yeah it's really blogs and podcasts like mine and the, the club itself um and outlets like the athletic and pro soccer usa are at this point really the only places where you would even be remotely aware that the red bulls exist and given that this season is their best ever season in 23 years um the fact that they're not on top of the league is is frustrating, but the fact is that there's never been a Red Bull team better than this one, and no one cares. Well, that's an irony to me, and this is also, ironically, probably the thing that Red Bull and Union both have in common. You know, Maybe the fans can bond over the fact that nobody in their respective market gives a shit about them. And I think the funny thing is that I look down the list, I'm just thinking off the top of my head as you were making that point there, I'm thinking of what New York team is better than Red Bull right now because it's not None. It's None. not the Knicks, it's not the Rangers, it's not the Islanders, it's definitely not the Brooklyn Nets. So does that make it even more an- annoying because I'm annoyed and I'm not even from New York? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, Red Bull fans are certainly accustomed to this and they understand uh, where MLS fits on the city's uh, you know, pecking order. You know, over the summer, they, they were getting some coverage from major market media, but as soon as the NFL started, um, and not that New York's a college football town, they're not, but they're, they're certainly national uh, college football coverage in the New York press. Yeah, no, there's, they, it's, it's completely invisible. And, and, and the crazy thing is, Kevin, I mean, you and I both look at markets like Seattle and markets like Kansas City mm-hmm. and, markets, and markets like Atlanta, and the idea is that it absolutely can happen here, and the team can certainly fight. I mean, your guys, this is the first time you've ever reached 50 points. Is that correct? Yeah, um, that's correct. the unions run? Yep, yep. So, um, forgive me if I got that stat wrong. So, you guys are having the best season in, in your club's history. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the third playoff appearance ever, and that should be a big news in the marketplace. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's head-scratching, and it's frustrating and you know i you know you don't root against the media but all you can do is write letters to the editor or calls into the radio stations and say i, I want this coverage can you please cover up my team yeah or you just start your own podcast like seeing red new york or it's always soccer <laughs> in go. philadelphia so mark fishkin from seeing red new york uh seeing red ny.com uh what's your twitter handle is it just your name it's mark fishkin yes indeed and seeing red ny on twitter as well there you go. Mark, thanks for coming on, man. We will do it again some other time, and uh, hopefully this should be uh, a, a really good game on Sunday. I hope it's a playoff preview. This, the, both these teams are playing well, and it should be a lot of fun to watch. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, it's time for your questions, comments, and concerns. So let's see what you got for me. Oh, and by the way, sorry we didn't do a podcast for like two weeks. I had a guest lined up. 
uh, for last week, and then that fell through. And then, uh, as I'm sure you can tell, I've been sidetracked with Sixers and other assorted stuff. Uh, I think Dave and I are going to try to do another one next week after the Red Bull game. So let's start it off. Ah, with Union Hulk. Does it feel sad? Of course, this is all in capital letters, too. Does it feel sad that we absolutely shit the bed in Houston? Not just shit the, <laughs> shit the bed, but liquid hot magma shit the beds. Uh, Hulk is glad that we won games after that, but uh, but Hulky is still not over the final. Uh, it was one of those Slim Jim and PBR explosions of shitting that the Philadelphia Union did there. Listen, Hulk, I have to agree with you. I um I'm still annoyed by the U.S. Open Cup uh, disappointment because you know I went out on a limb. I stuck my neck out there. I went on Crossing Broad and I wrote an article for all the four for four fans that said if you don't give a shit about soccer one way or another, but you want to see a Philly team have a chance to win their first trophy of all time, tune in. And then I, they went and shit the bed with magma shits, like Union Hulk just said. And I'm like, I'm disappointed at that because, you know, a lot of people were hyping this up and saying, hey, get on board. And then they let everybody down on national television. Uh, does the fact that they beat Minnesota 5-1 to one help things? Yeah, of course. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about the best team in Union history. But their biggest game that they've had of the year, they came up short, and that annoys me because I felt like that was a big opportunity for them to kind of move move themselves forward in this market, which I've talked about ad nauseum over and over and over and over again. Uh, winning gets you where you need to be, and that was an incredible disappointment, and I'd be lying if I told you that I was over it. And I'm not even – I don't even – consider myself a fan i mean just from a media and macro standpoint of growing this franchise and getting people to give a shit i felt like they blew a huge opportunity there uh hulk that was a good question out of you man uh kyle branson do you have more confidence in ernst than ernie in building the team to win uh i mean i don't know it's it's different you know now they've got an infrastructure in place and they actually know what the hell they're doing the academy's rolling so I guess I could say I have more confidence in Ernst because he has he's coming into a situation that makes a lot more sense. It's more defined. Uh, there is clarity in Chester. Uh, but that's not to say that I didn't have confidence in Ernie. I think, obviously, now the the Dogecal signing looks fantastic. The Madunian signing looks fantastic. You know, he's Ernie's legacy now as this team continues to win. This team that he put together continues to win. It makes him look a lot better than we originally thought it was when he you know ducked out of here a couple months ago. Uh, Josh from the Wonder Years, who I think are going on tour soon. What is the best case, worst case matchup for the U for their playoff game? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, NYCFC has been slipping lately, uh, but I don't want the Union to have to play them in Yankee Stadium because I just don't think that small stadium bodes well for the Union's possession game. They've been doing a really good job at spreading out the field. I don't, I don't think that compact design there really favors them. Uh, Columbus at home I like because they haven't been playing particularly well lately DC I don't know if you want any part of them right now but I like the Union's chances against DC at home Um, I don't know I I think I would take DC at home I mean they could very well New York City could slip way down too I, 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 I would say I just I don't I don't want them to play at NYC or at Columbus. I I'd, I'd be okay with them hosting all three of those teams. Uh, Jason says, "Would you rather have a home home game against DC or away at Columbus and or NYC?" Yeah, I'd rather play DC home. 
I haven't played DC home because I still don't I, don't. I don't know if that defense is really. I mean, you can say what you want about Wayne Rooney and Lucho Costa and the attacking pieces are really clicking. I'm not incredibly worried about the DC defense um, right now. And if you play them at home, you know, that stadium's going to be rocking. Uh, first playoff game since 2011, only the second playoff game ever at Talon. Um, so I would take I would take the home atmosphere definitely versus playing Columbus away or New York City away. Um, Kyle, Kyle asked like 10 questions. What the hell is this? Branson asked like 10 questions in a row here. Uh, do you think the union regret, regret not taking Brandon Vincent at two instead of Yarrow? What the hell has Yarrow even been doing? Yeah, well, I mean, my thing, my revisionist history thing, obviously I was wrong. I, You know, Keegan turned out to be a hell of a player. But the one thing that I'll say is that they had a chance to go, you know, two, three, six. They could have went Yarrow, Vincent, and then Keegan probably still would have been there at six. I don't know if Real Salt Lake or anybody else is going to take him before that. I, I still think you could have gotten all three of those guys, but they maybe I guess they felt Keegan was going to drop, so they went Yarrow, Keegan, and then Herbers at six. But Vincent has turned out to be a good player. So, um, if you could take on a struggling player from another team in MLS, who would it be? I don't know, man. I honestly, I got to admit to you guys and, and gals, I have been totally out of it the last couple of weeks with Sixers and Eagles shit. Uh, as Andy Reid once said, I got to do a better job of paying attention to everything, <laughs> everything else around the league at this point. Um, <clears throat> what differences do you notice? About, I didn't even know, I didn't even remember that Chris Armas was coaching the Red Bulls at this point. That's horrible by me. What differences do you notice about covering the Union versus covering the other major sports teams in Philly? Oh, shit, how much time do you have? First of all, I love the union beat because it was smaller. Uh, you know, it was me, John, Matt, Dave, uh, Joe, you know, Mike and Greg down there during games. Uh, you know, Matt Ralph sort of came in, I guess, the last year that I was I was on the beat. Um, but it's like a well-oiled machine because it's smaller. We are more familiar with each other and we know how to play off each other, follow up on questions make sure we cover everything, ask all the bases, and we work together as a unit. Okay, so when the, when the Sixers then comes up, you have like the Jeff Skaverskys of the world who just come in there with the camera and they ask a bunch of dumb shit like over and over and over again. I once watched Jeff Skaversky ask Jonathan Papelbon the same question eight times in a row in eight different ways, and it was it was during the trade deadline. It was down in... Washington at National Stadium. I, me- I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I had surgery the day before, and I had like some like patch on my arm or whatever. And I was like, I got to drive all the way down here to do Jonathan Papelbon. Like, what the hell kind of assignment is this? And uh, he said, Do you think you'll be traded? Uh, I don't know. Do you want to be traded? I don't know. Uh, what would it mean to you if you were traded? Do you think a trade implies that there you have no future? Some I, it was it was the most inane bullshit ever. But the problem is that the Sixers beat and the Eagles and these other teams is that it's so saturated to the point that you have like thirty people down there all kind of shouting over each other trying to get their question in. And you know the Philadelphia Inquirer might have five people down there at one time, and they're doing five different stories, so they need five different sets of quotes. Uh, and by the time they get done asking everything, not that I have anything against those guys, I like all of them and and Sarah too. Um, but by the time they're done asking all that stuff, there's like you know there's no time left. So I just liked the union beat because it was smaller. Um, it was sort of a group of people that understood each other and liked each other and knew how to work off, e- off each other. Um, but then, like, you know, you get Howard Eskin coming down to the Sixers or something and making this show all about himself, uh, and people don't know how to work together to, to pull the most out of uh, the coaches and the players. So there you go. That's another full podcast for some time. What's your perfect Sunday? Um, doing jack shit. 
sitting around on my butt, uh, maybe go exercise and, uh, not open Twitter, not have to, uh, see political tweets, uh, not being around a computer at all. I generally just shut, like I shut my brain down at the end of every day. I can't like, like social media just kind of like, uh, wears me out during the day, like having to monitor all this stuff and listen to the radio stations and stuff like that. So, uh, my perfect Sunday, you know, if it was this Sunday, I would go into the woods and I just get lost and sit there for a while. Um, <laughs> What's the highest score you've ever gotten bowling? I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't even know what the highest score is. A hundred? Is it a hundred sixty? Is that it? I think I did like a one twenty something before. I think I've gone bowling maybe eight times in my entire life. Um, do you think the union will let Doge call walk in favor of playing Fontana and buying a DP forward instead? Uh, no. No, because Fontana, they really haven't given much time to at all this year outside of those early minutes early in the year. I, I don't think they're convinced that – is anybody convinced that he's the guy moving forward? Um, it's not what I would do. I would make Dojkal the first priority. Um, but if he does walk, it, you know, that's there are worse things to do than use the leftover Jay Simpson money to sign a striker. Uh, ice cream or water ice? Um, both. What's it called at Rita's when they do the mix? The gelato, where you pick like your custard and then you do the ice. I would mix them together. Uh, the best hip hop album after the year two thousand. Uh, uh, probably Supreme Clientele. Uh, or <clears throat> the Masticilla solo album, No Said Date, which I think came out in two thousand four. Hang on, I got my CD case sitting over here. Got a CD rack. I actually have a whole rack of CDs in my studio. Um, where's Ghostface Killer? Jizz, uh, go, oh, Ghostface Killer. Supreme Clientele came out in, oh, the year 2000, so I can't do Supreme Clientele. All right, so I'll do <clears throat> No Said Date, Master Killer. Um, Fang looks like Corey Burke, discuss. Uh, <laughs> does he? Oh, he's tall. He's kind of lean. Um, does Corey have kind of like a mohawk thing going on? I think he does kind of have that haircut, doesn't he? That's uh, that's an interesting observation. I think you would probably want to look more like Fang than Gritty if you had to choose. Uh, Kevin says, what are some realistic expectations from Ernst Tanner this offseason? A, a DP striker, lockup, Doge Cal, a coaching shakeup? Uh, definitely lockup, Doge Cal. I mean, you have to. You have to. We, how many times have we spent on this podcast before this year talking about a number 10? They got to get a number 10. They need somebody to link this together. They got good pieces elsewhere, but they need a cam. So, obviously, I mean, the guy's like leading the league in assists. How would how would you not make that your number one priority? You know, DP striker, if they can, absolutely. Um, you know, that gets you places next year. It really does. I also think you need a right winger unless – David Akam, who had the mystery friggin' hernia that we didn't even know about, um, turns out to be a player next year. You know, that sports hernia thing, I, I, that's, I, I've been really fortunate that I've, I've been playing my entire life, and I've never really had any real injuries. I've never broken a bone. Knock on wood, I've, you know, I never had any kind of serious stuff. Um, been pretty fortunate, even though I've, I've played as a defender my entire life and had a lot of, like, bad collisions with people. I had a couple stingers in my shoulders on, on goalkeeper collisions. Um, sports hernia was the most annoying thing I ever dealt with because the the 
I guess I would say the strangest thing about it is that you don't feel like you can do anything to it or you don't feel like you can do anything to help yourself. Uh, it's in an area of your body where you just can't really, God, how do I explain it? It's like you can't stretch it. There's no way to stretch out a sports hernia. You can't like really ice it because uh, it's like up underneath your body. Um, you know, you you really all you can do for a sports hernia is go have the surgery uh, or just stop playing completely for a while. I I, I stopped playing. I I, I got it because I was playing at the Northern Liberties Rec Center on that dusty-ass floor that's never cleaned and never mopped, never swept, never taken care of, just like everything else in Philadelphia. <laughs> and uh, I felt my foot just slide while trying to plant, and it felt like I felt it like right above, like like right underneath my uh, you know private area. Uh, I just felt something go, and I knew something was wrong. I never felt that before in my entire life. Tried to play on it that night, and I left after 10 minutes. I went home. Um, tried to play on it again in full field later that week, and I couldn't do it. So I took six weeks off. I didn't play a game for six weeks, and I played the my last CASA season, which was last fall, and it was really painful for like the first five to ten minutes of the game, and then I would sort of, it would sort of warm up a little bit, and I was able to finish these games off, but I didn't feel like I could get any drive on any of the passes I was playing. So listen, the point being with David Akam, one of the things that was really hard about sports training is I found it hard to cut and slash and turn and make, make quick movements. If you watch David Akam this year, it's a lot of linear stuff from him. It's a lot of straight line running at defenders, losing the ball. He didn't look very shifty. Um, he wasn't really good in tight spaces and it makes a ton of sense to me uh, because I felt the same way when I had the, the sports hernia. Like I, every little cut, every turn kind of pirouette, uh, Cruyff moves, stuff like that. Those were really, really hard and really painful. Um, so I'm based, based on, you know, me having it and trying to play a, a slower paced amateur, you know, adult league with it. I can't imagine what it would be like being a winger in MLS and having to deal with that injury. Um, John says getting a bit ahead, what are two to three things that union need to do to not backslide in 19, um, like the two other post playoff, uh, appearance seasons. Yeah. They didn't play that well after, you know, coming off of the playoffs. Um, are the union in a different place to make this happen than 2016? Yeah, well, I mean, in 2012, Peter Novak's, I, I think his ego just got the best of him, and he started getting rid of good players. And, you know, Freed Mondragon left, and, uh, you know, Danny Califf, that whole, you know, butting of heads happened. Uh, you know, I, I think you keep the <laughs> the core in place. How, how, can, how can you not want to keep this this group in place? It's the best team the union have ever had. Um and really, they'd be better than they were if they had, had had figured out what they were earlier in the year. So think of how how long it took them to figure out the midfield of Dojkala, Madunian, and Bedoya and how the spacing works. Now you're going to go break that up for what? I mean, continuity is key here. Look at all those good Kansas City teams over the years. Look at those good Seattle teams over the years. Um, I think you try to keep it keep it together as much as possible and try to bring in a try to bring in a designated player striker. Because I'm not. It's it's nothing against Corey Burke. I just don't know if he's a 12 to 15 goal scorer in MLS. Uh, John Harris says, how does Ernst carry himself? How does he interact with people? Is he energetic, ambitious, a big personality? Well, I don't know because I'm not down there anymore. Uh, he seems a little more reserved than Ernie. Um, that's all right. It doesn't mean shit if he, if he works hard behind the scenes and he knows what he's doing. Um, Mitch says, how much should a, a comms hernia issue? Yeah, I just talked about that. 
uh, assuming it fully recovers and is effective, would Pico move over to right wing or would you run a con- would you turn him into a right wing? Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't move Pico anywhere from where he is right now. He's been excellent this year. Um, you know, the, the cap with the U.S. team is well-deserved. Um, I still refuse to watch the United States national team as far as Dave, as long as Dave Sarakin's in there. It's not, I know there's some exciting things happening. Josh, Josh Sargent, Sargent and uh, Tyler Adams and whatnot. And all, and all the, the, the young guys are interesting to watch, but I just, I, I need to have the new coach in there. Um, but no, I'd, I would leave Pico exactly where he is. Uh, how do you feel about Precourt? Uh, circumve- circumventing a massive expansion fee. Yeah, I, you know, I really haven't been paying too much to the Save the Crew stuff. I mean, I'm glad that they ain't going anywhere. It'd be nice to see them fill the stadium and show that people do actually give a shit about them staying there. And so that's it's more of a tangible thing and less of a sentimentality kind of thing. And, of course, you want an original MLS team to stay where they are. Um, but if people ain't coming out and people ain't spending money and the business side of it is what it is, I mean, I don't blame, you know, somebody like him for doing what he did. That's not to say I... I'm in favor of it because I wasn't. Um, I think he's kind of an asshole, and obviously he doesn't care about Columbus and never really did. Um, but people need to put their money where their mouth is now, and they need to say, okay, we saved the crew. Let's show that people give a shit about the crew, right? Because that stadium hasn't been full since Guillermo Barascolota was there, right? Am I wrong? Um, no, so that's a serious question. Like, am I wrong? I don't know. Um, who is unprotected on the union in the expansion draft? Oh, why don't Dave and I do that list next? We'll make an exercise out of that. Uh, Tepo's dad says, who do we want in the playoffs? Yeah, I would like D.C. or Columbus at home, I think. Um, I'm off to West Virginia for a college tour. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, anything specific I should take my kid to see? Yeah, uh, take him to Cooper's Rock on uh, I-68, a couple miles outside of the campus. Um, it's a very nice park there. You can do a little bit of hiking, and there's a little overlook that's like five seconds off of the parking lot. Um it's a good spot to start for West Virginia. A lot of very nice stuff to see there. Um, it's beautiful, man, as Tony Bruno would say. Jared says, how many points out of the last six gets the Union a home playoff game? And do they even want the three seed to face a hot D.C. squad? Yeah, I would face a hot D.C. squad, sure. I mean, there's going to be no easy games for them, obviously. Columbus is still organized. Uh, you know, they need I – I don't see – you know. If they get a point, if they get four points, that puts them at. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, there's there's too much. It's hard to say. It's hard for me to answer that question because the two, the teams are too clumped up at this point. Um, it's going to come down to the final day. Obviously, I don't know if anything's going to be decided. I think the supporter shield might be decided by the end of uh, the weekend, but I don't think any of the other seeds will be. Uh, why are this is from Matt uh, Thornton. Uh, why are all of the union's losses by two or more goals this season? What does that say about their play? Um, it means that when they're on, they're on, and when they're off, they're really off. You know, U.S. Open Cup final. Um, you know, the variance in their in their in their losses and the goals that they give up shows that some days they just don't have it. You know, whereas Mark pointed out at the beginning of the of the podcast, you know, Red Bull had that string of one goal games that they were that they were having, but. Uh, yeah, you'd like to see that bring down, but I don't, I don't, I don't think it says anything about the style of play. I think they've tried to play the same style no matter what this year, which is why they won a bunch of road games. Um, from Vince, what's the over under on next year's transfer spending? All right, God, I have no idea. Um, also set the odds on Doge Cal's return versus a new number 10. I'm going 10 to one, 10 to one for a return. Uh, I will say, I'll give you a percentage. I'll say that there's a 
75% chance that he returns. I mean, why not? If they can work it out with the Chinese team, then why the hell not? I mean, remember, like, he's, I think he's got a young kid. I think he likes it over here. I think that was part of why he wanted to come here anyway, wasn't it? If you have stability and you're playing well and you're getting to captain your national team, why the hell would you not want to come back here? It's, a, it's It was a stabilizing situation for him. Um, and I don't know why he would want to go away from that, you know? I mean, really, the Chinese team is probably the only obstacle here. I would, I would, I would do the damn thing. I would, I would come up with the agreement now. You know, I come up with a pre-agreement and get it all worked out, you know. Uh, we'll watch and then he goes and gets injured or something. But uh, All right, last one. John says, with the Beambo deal expiring, what is your Dream Union shirt sponsor? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what is my dream? Uh, like Motorhead or something? Or a big Judas Priest logo on the front of the – probably wouldn't pay too much money, though. Um I would like to see something local. I know Bimbo is lo- the local headquarters, you know, but nobody understands that. I tell people all the time about the Horsham thing, about the local, um, you know, the local branch of Bimbo, but nobody remembers any of that. So I, I don't know. Um, Comcast isn't going to do it because they already own a bunch of teams and they have the, you know, they're bringing the wings in this year. Uh, Wawa would be interesting, you know, big goose on the front of the jersey. But realistically, what I think it could be or what it should be. Uh, I think I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but with all the legalized gambling that's going on right now, Pennsylvania is probably in line to legalize or to to do the rollout or you know come up come into the 21st century with everybody else by the time you uh, Bimbo expires, I would think. So if FanDuel or DraftKings or some other sports book uh, would give you you know like a 15 million dollar deal over four or five years I think you would you would go with that for sure and the only issue with those things is like with the gambling you know in England obviously it was huge in the in the Premier League and then sometimes you have Muslim players who you know it's against uh you know it's it's um haram you know it's forbidden for them to gamble or whatever so then you run into issues when you have gambling uh, or betting sponsors on their shirt so that might be something but I, I think that makes a lot of sense from a money standpoint because that's where a lot of the money in sports is going right now. So, um, you know, StubHub is interesting too. They have the Sixer sponsorship now, but um, I, I would whatever it is, I would I would prefer to see something local. I don't know if that makes the most sense money wise, and no matter what you say about Bimbo, they paid a lot of money for it. It made a ton of sense for them to do it when they did, and also for them to renew, even though the second deal wasn't as much money as the first one. So. Uh, we'll see, but maybe they should sell some more shirts because people don't want to wear something that says Bimbo on it. So. Anyway, that's it for the podcast. Uh, David will be back, and we'll do one uh, next week after the Red Bull game, previewing uh, Decision Day. Uh, I just talked to Baxter. He said hello and sorry he couldn't be involved this week, uh, but maybe we'll get him involved next week. <laughs>